Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience. Hey, come on, knock on our door. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know what time it is. Raptors Republic. Time to call the doctor, son. The doctor is in. PhD Steve. The doc's talking rap stats and who fast like it's Christmas. Steve. Dropping points and making spats that you won't be. Lee. Man, get ready to ball. Ball. Because he's talking hoop. He's got the scoop. Cutting rap. Give you the loop. Steve. With a hoop, it's brains, big spout, the size of Ben Wallace's. Lee. Arm raps in public and a tune, so click and read. Steve. Ooh, drop your pants and cough. Because <laughs> the doc is in, so let's begin. Affiliate to ESPN. Steve. It's Rapcast with PhD Steve on Raptors Republic. Ooh, doctor. Yes, it's me, it's me, it's PhD Steve back again with another episode of The Doctor Is In here on Raptors Republic, the ESPN.com True Hoop affiliate. And we are now talking about the finals, two games into the NBA finals. I've reassembled the worldwide roundtable, and I have all the members of the roundtable with me today. We're going to take a look at what's happened in Toronto, foreshadow what to expect perhaps in Golden State over the next couple of games, and just talk about some of the big themes and storylines going on. So let's take a look at the Worldwide worldwide Roundtable and see who we have. Uh, I'm coming to you live from the capital of Australia, Canberra. All the way across the sea, across the ocean, is my brother Mike, and he's at the Louisiana-Texas border. Mike, how are you? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm, you know, uh, as excited, nervous, uh, and up, upset as well as, you know, pleased by the Raptors as I guess you could be. I have a mix of emotions. Yeah, I think that's probably going to summarize how most people are feeling, but we'll go through some of those emotions shortly. Uh, also with us, so let's let's bounce actually to Toronto, the only member of the Worldwide Roundtable who is north of the border in Canada. He's from the Fifth Quarter blog. He's Blair Miller. Blair, how you doing? Yeah, boy! Oh, yeah. What time is it? I'm doing really good. <laughs> okay. And uh, adding to our, our, our list today, absent from our last 
uh, podcast. But you know, welcome back, the prophet, the brain from the south. Hashtag pig farmers. He is uh, Greg Mason. And uh, Greg, how you doing? Being a genius certainly has its advantages. I'm doing great. Reporting in from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was going to say, I was going to let you uh, give out the good news, the, I guess the good news, and the big news is that you're no longer located in uh, Gainesville, Florida. Uh, you gave up your cushy uh, job at the university uh, for, a, for, a, for a new life uh, in Philly. Uh, quick question. Have you turned into an asshole yet now that you're living in Philly? <laughs> I, I, I find myself swearing more, to be honest. <laughs> Dude, the other day I was at the, uh, there's a cafeteria at my work in the, the sweet cafeteria woman in her 60s casually dropped the F-bomb. And I was like, I know I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. That's, right. that's, that's, that's the best story, right? They, they boo Santa Claus in, uh, in Philadelphia, right? So uh, it must have been – actually, let, maybe we'll start there because I want to get feelings on everyone's feelings uh, about the Raptors uh, so far, the Golden State so far, the series so far. But you were actually you, – you, you've been living the other side. You were in Philly for the Philly series. What was the I mood was. like? Yeah, what was the mood like uh, at that point in time around this Raptors team? And the reason why I say that, Greg, to you is because I think the Raptors team we saw in the third and fourth quarter of Game 2 looked an awful lot more like the Raptors team we saw in the Philly series than the Milwaukee series. So um, what was the, the Philadelphians' viewpoint of this Raptors team while that series was going on? Um, I think they thought it was a series they should have won, um, but at the same time, you know, Philadelphia fan base is so up and down. It's like when they win, they're really enthusiastic about the future. When they lose, it's like the world is terrible. Everything's garbage. I don't know. This, Santa Claus sucks. Th- yeah. You're not going to get <laughs> you're not going to hear a lot of positive things about Toronto, if that's what you're asking. Um, you know, I. I think they thought they were a formidable foe, but it was a series that was theirs to take, and they and they lost it. And it was definitely Philadelphia fans are legit basketball fans. Like you hear people talking about the Sixers just around all the time, and they actually know the players on the team and the players on the other team and things like that. So uh, after that shot, there was actually. After the, the Kawhi shot, the next morning at work, there was a sort of a weird somberness uh, around the office. So it was it was interesting to see from that perspective, the actually get to witness the heartbreak from the perspective of the Philadelphia fans. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, OK, well, let's take a look then now at, at, um, at the, the series that we're in. Rappers in Golden State go back to Oracle uh, tied 1-1. The point that I've been making on social media uh, and, and to others is before the series started, if you told the Raptors and Raptors fans that they could go to Golden State tied 1-1, every Raptors fan would take it 10 out of 10 times. If you told Golden State fans and the organization that they would be going back to Oracle tied 1-1, they'd be saying, what's wrong with our team? Because I think the perspective going in was, I know Vegas had it, whatever. Rappers were one-point favorites because they were at home and no Kevin Durant. But I, I think everybody collectively felt that this Golden State Warriors team was a lot better than the Toronto Raptors team. So we're 1-1. We're going back to, to, to Golden State. What's, what's our mood uh, around the Toronto Raptors right now? How do we feel about the Toronto Raptors? Let's go to you, Blair, first. What are your thoughts on the Raptors, where they stand right now, tied 1-1? 
Well, let me just say to backpack on Greg with, since I have the only Toronto perspective, obviously it's crazy here in the city, we know, but uh, I actually kind of underestimated it. You really do need to see it firsthand. I went down to a concert um, Saturday night, Anderson Pack. I don't know if you guys know who that is. It's a big Grammy winning artist. He's unbelievable. Just Steve, I've seen him live, my friend. He, he is an amazing performer. He is a showman. The guy, just as a quick blurb, Steve, you'd appreciate this. The guy sings and raps very fast, and he's playing a full drum kit. Wow. So on the way down to the concert, I digress. Anywhere, anywhere there were flags, and many times where there weren't, there was also a Raptors flag. Like it was, it was almost like some sort of dystopian city, you know, like just flags, Raptors flags everywhere. And we were at the concert and in between almost every song, let's go Raptors chants would break out. Wow. At a concert. Wow. I've, never, wow. I've, never experienced, I've never experienced that before. And, cool. and, and then there was a great part when he came out playing to the crowd and it went dark and he came out again, he's on the drum kit and he's wearing a Kyle Lowry Jersey and the place went nuts. So wow. the whole city, the whole city, it's just, it's something else. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't, I still don't think I'm happy if I'm the Raptors because I still think you have to be objective about this and think you lost home court, right? Because that's what you want to do is you want to home hold court, hold home court. And any team that takes one of the first two games is thinking, great, now we're in the driver's seat. We, we took home court. Um, so I don't know that I can be that happy, especially because, and I liked your, I liked how you referred to the Philly series, Steve, because last game, game two felt very much like, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say a regress, but very felt, it felt more like the Philly series than the Bucks series, like you said, and meaning that they weren't hitting the broad side of a barn. Yeah. Okay, Mike, um, well, let's, let's, let, let's, let's, let's pass on to you, Mike, and hear, and yeah. hear your thoughts. Where, where, how are you feeling about the Raptors at 1-1? You would blare that it's a disappointment because they've given away home court, or do you think that they should still feel good and comfortable uh, with, with the fact that they know that they can roll with this Warriors team? I think the, if the Raptors are smart and actually want to win this series, they have to be very happy with where they are. You know, the Warriors, you know what, they stole a game in which the Raptors played awful and the Warriors didn't actually play that much better themselves and so it's not really like the Warriors were amazing or anything like the, the media down here has been playing it up that the Warriors showed up and they're the greatest thing again since sliced bread uh, and the Raptors really lost that game that they also should have won and so you're going into the Warriors arena not sure who you're going to be playing against because they're all banged up and you've proven through two games that one you can beat them when everyone's playing well and you know blow them out of the gym and you almost beat them if, you know, a couple more shots drop uh, the other night. You know, that 109-104 uh, is not as bad as it looks. I think the Raptors should be, I think, really happy going forward. Right? They should be upset that they lost that game. Don't get me wrong. Like, they should be up 2-0. Uh, but to, to not only beat Golden State, but to really show how vulnerable Golden State is, I think I think they're sitting in a really good spot. They just they they cannot let this hang over them like a cloud, you know. Yeah, you know, Greg. Before uh, Iguodala makes that three pointer, um, Golden State had gone I think five minutes without a field goal, and in that same Igu time, Iguodala was zero for eleven or something of his last <laughs> uh, eleven three pointers up until that game. He hit he hit two uh, three pointers this last game. He hadn't hit one since he the Portland series. And, uh, I think it was before it, that. I think it was the second round. I think he hadn't hit one since the 
since like game two of, uh, of of the Houston series. Like he, really? like, if, if anybody was going to take a three-point shot, like you were like, okay, well, Iguodala can take that. That's an ill-timed shot. He's not shooting very well. And you know what? If if uh, Kawhi steals that ball, which he almost did before, my goodness, or called they called a foul on him bumping into, oh, but, you know, it, it's one of those like the the Raptors had that game, and it just ended up being, you know, lucky. I, I feel like Golden State just got lucky to take that game and walk out okay. of there, and they are they are hobbled like a wounded animal right now. Is how I feel. Let's let's fast to Greg though. Greg, um, before that, like we said, before that the shot goes down, they go a five minute stretch. Golden State doesn't really get a basket. In that same time, Toronto almost scores nothing themselves through that five minutes, other than basically Kawhi Leonard at, at the free throw line. Uh, table that with a 26-4 run uh, to end the second ha- uh, second quarter and start the third quarter. And what we see is the Raptors go through two really abysmal stretches in that game. And yet, when the final whistle blows, final score is only five points. And, you know, with 10 seconds to go, we're in a one-possession game. And really, it, it, it could have gone either way. So... How do you think? What, do you, what are your thoughts on the Raptors at this point at one-one? Are they are they in a good spot, or should they be uh, concerned that they that they've given away home court? I think they've proven to themselves that they're not just tourists in this whole thing. It's not just we made it. This is a great story. It's great for the city. We're happy to be here. But really, you know, there's there's some real possibility here to to win this thing, and. Uh, <laughs> They've they've proven to do some things defensively that are effective to slow down Steph Curry and you know make life challenging for the Warriors, which most teams can't even get that far. So that's been really great. So I think they've proven to themselves that hey, we're we're a pretty formidable contender here, and uh, that's really positive for me. And there's also a lot of things they can. There's a lot of correctable things and things like that they can point to for the next couple of games. So I don't know. It's overall it's it's positive and uh, it's not like they didn't get good shots and just miss them last night. So there's even last night. It's not like it's you you're feeling in despair after that game or anything like that. And I think Kawhi is definitely the the quiet leader on this team in terms of he's been there, done that. And if, and his whole philosophy is one game at a time, cause he's actually lived that out. And uh, I think he's sort of not, too, he's, he's passing on that, not never too high, never too low um, vibe onto the team. And that's really important for them moving forward. Yeah. I, I feel like he's the Bill Belichick, uh, of, of the NBA, yeah. right? He's like the he's like the player version of Bill Belichick. Like every question you ask him, it's like we're looking at next week's game. We're on to the next opponent. Yeah. We're on to the, I, 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 nothing moves him. You know, I tweeted last night that he had to leave because there clearly wasn't enough room for him and Popovich in the media room in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he doesn't. He's not just. I don't think that's BS for him. I think that's really the way he approaches it. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. well, that's what makes that's what makes him the you know the, the Terminator the cold blooded killer that Mike was talking about in the last podcast is you know there just there's never a moment where where he, he his approach to the game changes so it's always every, every play every minute every second of every game it's exactly the same and that's and you would say well you know you ramp it up in the playoffs you ramp it up the last two minutes no he just plays every possession 
like like it's it's the only possession that, that matters because it's the only one that that's directly in front of him that he can control and that's part of what makes him such a great player i think on both ends of the court let's let's talk then about golden state now the you know they're the champs we know that they're historically one of the best teams we've ever seen they are clearly the best team of our generation they are playing for history and they're, uh, as Mike talked about in the last podcast, playing maybe from a bit of a fatigued spot, right? In that, uh, you know, trying to get that third in the three-peat can be very difficult. Some bodies are the same, some are different. We're going to talk about that in a second. But what is really impressive is that win of game two, that's the 23rd straight playoff series they've been in that they've won in a away, away game. So mm-hmm. you kind of knew they were going to get one at some point. So my question, again, going back to like, you know, we know it's 1-1. How do you feel about the Warriors? How do you feel about the Raptors? Let's look about how you feel about the rap, or about the Warriors, okay? 23 straight uh, series, they get, they get that uh, road win. Now they've taken back home court advantage. Is that, is that big news? Is that little news? Or is that no news at all? Uh, Blair, to you. Well, as I said before, like, I do think it's significant news because <clears> – <throat> You know, based backpacking on what I said before, that the Raptors shouldn't be happy. I want to give the Raptors respect and just treat them like any good contender there all there can be, because that's what they are. And because of that, I don't think they've I don't think they're happy. I don't think they want to be happy. They lost home court advantage. And it's a big win for Golden State to take it. And what they also did was continue the psychological domination of opponents. Um, because um, what the stat I have here over the last three playoffs, the last three postseasons, Golden State's trailed at the halftime of 20 playoff games. And of those 20, they've come back to win 11, 55% of those games. And you're just not supposed to have a winning record in games you trail at halftime, especially in the playoffs like that. And I, I think there was a graphic came up in the game, in game two. They were down... To Portland, the last three or four, like last three or four games of that series, and then they were down the last like two of these. And so, not only do I think it's a big win because they took home court advantage back, and again, we're we also need to see how the injuries play out and all this other stuff. They are hobbled, that's for sure. Mike's right, but uh, now it's not just we took home court. It's now you can have whatever lead you want. You're still going to be nervous. We still have you. Yeah, but we said before we said going into the series, one of the talking points in the first, last podcast was just that the thing with Golden State is when we know this yeah, about them, but, but, is, but there's no there's no lead that's safe with them. There is no lead that's safe with them. Even if yes. Steph doesn't have a bucket for the first 18 minutes, and you know, in the final four minutes of the of the uh, of, of, of the second half, he 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 you know he puts in whatever six points, eight points, ten points, and just boom, 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 boom. And before you know it, now now here here they come. Like this, this is who they are. This is their their yeah, actual this identity. Is who, this is who they are. And and Siakam pointed it out post game after game two last night was, uh, you know, he put it on them because this is who they are. And we came out and we didn't respect that in the third quarter and let them blow us out. Yeah, good, uh, excellent point. Okay, Mike, to you. What are your thoughts? Big news, little news, uh, no news at all. Golden State uh, again, uh, you know, taking back home court and and and, and you know, uh, getting a, a game on the road. Uh, it, I think that's actually only big news if they win the next two games, right? Like that, that changes the whole series around. But um, I think they have to be worried. Like for for the Raptors. Again, Golden State has to win. If they win all the home games, you know, they win the championship. But the, it's not like the Raptors haven't won any games on the road 
this postseason, right? They've already they've already shown that they can win games on the road and big games on the road too. Um, so I I don't I don't I think it's it's big news for Golden State because it at least gives them a shot in the arm. But you know this is a team that hasn't looked good. Um, and if you go over the, all of those postseason you know victories the last couple of years that Blair has been pointing out, uh, they did all of that with Kevin Durant, <laughs> and they yep. they don't have him. You know they don't have Kevin Durant. They might not have Clay Thompson. Uh, they probably won't have Kevon Looney. Uh, so there, there's a lot of banged up bodies there. You have a a Curry who's not shooting the same. Uh, he's definitely not scoring at the same pace that he was before. Um, and you have a you know. The Raptors lost that game with a really poor shooting effort by the Raptors, and everybody shot poorly, with the exception of Kawhi Leonard. You know, so I, I, I think the Warriors should be happy, and it's big news in that regard. Um, but I think it's it's going to feel like little news if the Raptors come into their arena and win one of those next two games. So I, I think it's only big news if they win the next two games, right? Because then that puts the Raptors in a really terrible position. Okay, what about you, Greg? You know, we we've seen the Raptors win at Oracle already this season. You know, they uh, they won the, they won the game they played at Oracle uh, earlier this year. And I, I, if I if I'm correct, I don't think Kawhi Leonard even played in in, in that game as well. So, uh, what do you think, Greg, about the, the Raptors traveling uh, to Golden State and Golden State themselves again? They 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 got their their road win. Big news, little news, or no news at all? I think it. I mean, it is indicative of kind of playoff basketball in the sense that. The more you've been there and done that, the more you have that kind of quiet confidence to just know how to win in the playoffs. And that's the really challenging thing about the Warriors at this point, above and beyond just the pure talent they have on the roster. It's just, you know, they've figured out how to win time and time again in so many different playoff basketball situations at this point. So it's certainly no surprise whatsoever that they won. Um, do you, uh, is Jeopardy a thing? Is that a thing they show in, in Canada? I mean, Alex Trebek is Canadian, so I assume. Yes, no, I don't know. I just, I was, for what it's worth, I was just in the grocery store today and there was a Canadian magazine, McLean's, and he was on the cover. All right. All right. So, you know, I'm, I kind of compare the Warriors to, James Holtzhauser or or <laughs> vice versa a little bit. You know, there's a lot of talented people that come in every every night you get on the show, there's a talent, you know, everybody's pretty talented. But, you know, he's been there so many times at this point, he knows exactly how to ring the buzzer. He knows exactly how to bet. He knows exactly how to the Warriors are the exact same thing. They're they're just a well oiled machine. And that's why, you know, injuries and things like that are a little less significant to the Warriors than they are just because, you know, they're so battle-tested and they just have these little insights and little sort of experiential confidence that other teams you can't have because, you know, how can you replicate that? So that's the tough thing. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm really excited about where the Raptors were and I was... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think Nick Nurse and company has been really smart with how they've game planned for this series so far. And, um, yeah, I'm really hopeful that it's not, it's not a surprise. It's expected that 
they were going to maybe bounce back and find a way to win and, you know, resilience, grittiness, blah, 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 blah. But I don't think it's, it's any doom and gloom on the series at all. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Raptors uh, won in Golden State one of the next two games. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I, I'm going to say that they're going to win one. I, I don't actually, I can't see Golden State winning uh, three of the remaining five games. We'll get to that as we go on. A couple just points of uh, note. I know that there's some nerves around going to Oracle and just how difficult Golden State is to beat at Oracle. But Golden State lost 11 games at home this year. They were 30 and 11 at home. So that's a decent uh, record. But I mean, it's not uh, a place where you go into, you say, oh, they can't be beat at home. And you'll say, yeah, but look, look what they did to Houston in the playoffs or Portland in the playoffs. Sure. Again, Portland without their best player, which we talked about in the last podcast. I want you to remind you that in the very open, first series of this particular playoffs, they played uh, the eight seed Los Angeles Clippers and they lost Lost two games in that series at Oracle. They lost game nice. two, and they lost game five. Well, Clippers, Clippers, the eight seed, won two at Oracle. And one of the reasons why that was such a difficult game for Golden State, or that was such a difficult matchup for Golden State versus Portland and uh, or, um, or, or 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 Houston, is again, I think it's just the nature of how that team is set up to play and the aggressive nature in which they play, with which they were coming at them defensively, which. Portland and uh, Houston weren't really as interested in, and I think Toronto's going to give them a lot of trouble. Uh, so I think winning one of two is very reasonable. Even this morning, I was listening to Tim Hardaway on Oakland Radio, uh, and, he, and he was on talking a little bit about just, just the, the nature of the series itself. And the feeling there is, of course, they want to go back 3-1 to Toronto, but no one in Golden State right now is feeling or no one in, in the Oakland, San Francisco, uh, California, you know, Bay Area is feeling like three one unless Durant unless Durant comes back. No one's feeling good about three run three one as being an actual thing right now. I think they've seen enough. But let's talk about some of the the post game feelings after the second game. Scott Van Pelt on ESPN uh, post match immediately following called it a gutsy performance, a big win for the Warriors. Paul Pierce and Chauncey Billups, former players, suggested that it demonstrated just how battle-tested this Warriors team is, just like you were talking about there, Greg. Um, <laughs> now, my question for you is, was that a big win for the Warriors? Like, would you agree with the description that that, that win is uh, a big win for them and that it's an impressive win, uh, given the nature of how the game played itself out and the injuries, etc.? Or, or, or is it something else? Let's... Let's start with Greg and go the other way this time. Greg, what, what are your thoughts? An impressive win for Golden State? It is. It's still impressive. I mean, you have some factors here that are not insignificant. You do have a pretty injured team, no, no matter how you kind of shake it out. And and they lose Clay Thompson at the end there uh, for a decent little stretch down, down the run. So... It's impressive in a sense uh, that, again, just sort of what I touched on before, it's impressive that they know how to hit, find that reserve, and they know how to just, you know, if, if it's not working for Curry, then Clay Thompson steps up. Um, you know, if, if Clay Thompson goes down, okay, well, Curry comes up, or blah, 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 blah. So it's, Impressive in that sense, but like I said, I wouldn't make. I don't know. I don't. Narratives. You got to create narratives for the media, and maybe a little. Maybe it's maybe being a little overblown in the media, in terms of you know what kind of statement game it was or anything like that. Um, but I do think it's impressive to be 
to have an off night like that and have so many guys clearly hurting and to, and to still find a way to win in a in a really tough tough arena. So okay, they come out with the win. No Clay Thompson down the stretch as you as you mentioned, but there was also no Kyle Lowry down the stretch for Toronto Raptors, which we will talk about Lowry's fouling out in about uh, seven or eight minutes down the road from now. So uh, for those of you who want to hang in for the, that that discussion is coming. Mike, impressive victory for for the Golden State Warriors. No, this this wasn't impressive at all, uh, and I, I'm going to disagree with Greg. I, I agree that you know they won the game, so it's important for them, uh, and we talked about why earlier, but was it an impressive win? Uh, I'm going to have to say no, and I think it follows the last six games that the Warriors have played where they haven't actually looked like the dominant you know team that is just blowing people out of the stadium you know uh, day after day after day, game after game after game. Um, I think this was a game that the Raptors lost more than Golden State won. Um, the Raptors, as a team, shot less than 30, or they shot 37%. They shot t- less than 29% from three-point land. They jacked up 38 and only made 11 shots. Siakam, Gasol, Lowry, and Green were 14 for 43 from the floor. Lowry gets kicked out because of foul trouble, 11 fouls in two games. Um Golden, you know, Golden State, their bench collectively were were minus figures. Like they they didn't actually do, I think, enough to actually help them win. The Raptors had more points in the paint. They let they had less fouls. They had more fast break points. They had less turnovers, and they forced Golden State to turn it over sixteen times. The Raptors eight straight shots and five turnovers in that massive eighteen zero run in in the quarter. But you know, the, the Raptors also, if, if the Raptors hit shots, they win this game. And I think that's really the the difference in this. I don't think anything that Golden State did was actually that impressive except for that, you know, that 18-0 run, which should have been stopped. There should have been more timeouts called by Nick Nurse. And that's one of the things that I feel he didn't take seriously enough was um, trying to hemorrhage, you know, stop that bleeding, you know, but, you know, Steph Curry, that wasn't impressive. Steph Curry scored, you know, nothing in the fourth quarter. You know, Golden State scores nothing from 539 to seven seconds left. You know, the, and the Raptors were just, they were, they were awful in, in that regard, right? That second half wasn't a great Raptors performance. And, and that's why I don't think Golden State was impressive. I think that they made just enough shots to win and the Raptors actually lost that game. Well, it's it's a make or miss league, right? Rappers only get to score 45, 40, 45 <laughs> points in the second half. And if you take a look at the stats, like Mike brought, brought out for you there, uh, the Raptors dominated in every single category except for three field goal percentage, three point percentage, and the final score. And, and uh, assists. <laughs> well, yes, my why yeah, exactly. Assist, assist to, to shots made was pretty impressive for Golden State assist as well. Double. Yeah, and well, and and, and this, well, I think you're going to talk about this, so I'll I'll let I'll let you get onto that, Blair. Let, let's come to you then. And Mike made, made an interesting point about Nick Nurse and adjustments. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later there, but I do think that back to Greg's point, which I think is a good one. We saw the experience of a team who's been there before, and a little bit of the inexperience and naivety of a team that uh, was caught up in a bit of a moment there at the start of the third quarter, quarter when they weren't able to, uh, to to find their way out of that before. The, the run got to 18. Okay, Blair. So uh, how do you feel then about the, the this this victory? Impressive or, or not impressive? You know, it's funny because, well, first of all, I totally agree with Mike about needing some timeouts in the third. That was uh, to note that they scored uh, 20 unanswered, which is the longest stretch in finals history. 
So you'd figure a timeout would come there. <laughs> so it was it was fourteen points before Nick. It was fourteen oh run before yeah. Nick Nurse called that timeout. Fourteen oh yeah, run. What I, actually, I mean, it's, it's, I, I sorry I to cut in. But, sorry to cut in here, but again, it's it's Raptors figuring this thing out as they go true. versus a team that's been through these trials and tribulations before. Yeah. So and again, it's impressive. It's impressive and, that they're right there in it. Coach, coach, and, organization, players, the whole thing. Yeah, no, but I would take that same analogy and apply it to the coaching as well. And not to take away from Nurse, he's been doing a great job, but also feeling it out, figuring it out, versus a guy who, if they were, if they gave separate awards for the postseason, and for me, Steve Kerr would already have my vote for coach of the postseason. They've used nine different starting lineups in these playoffs already. And Greg also mentioned something about narrative and uh, how the media likes to find narratives. And we're already starting to see glimpses of it. And it is their team motto, the strength in numbers. And there is some, you know, a little interesting irony to what has become what people have been labeling as a less deep, more star heavy team. Right. With Durant and all the cap issues and everything. Now they're starting to piece together and the bench guys have actually been filling in quite well. And they've been mixing up the lineup. And so back to the original question that Steve asked, the Raptors did, in a sense, give the game away. But it is a make-or-break league. But am I impressed? Hey, your best pure score is already out. Your best shooter was clearly sick or something was wrong to start the game. They were all over that. Your best bench player, Looney, leaves the game after getting plowed by Kawhi Leonard. Your best two-way player leaves midway through the fourth in a close game, and he'd been keeping the team in the game in the first half along with the referees, and then they still win? Yeah, that's impressive. I think that's very impressive. That's a lot of adversity to come through against a very good team and eco to win, as Greg said, in a very tough arena to play. Well, uh, during that third quarter run, like you were talking about, where it was 18-0 at one point, in addition to eating half a jar of Nutella while I was comfort eating, uh, comfort eating to help myself through that stretch, <laughs> I, I also had to go online and just make sure that Lenny Wilkins still wasn't the coach of the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but he has so many wins in his career. <laughs> so we talk on, about <laughs> we're talking about a, 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 a team here where we're, we're, we're Guys are stepping up and making shots, and Kawhi had Kawhi had a great game, no doubt about it. And uh, Stephen Clay did enough. I mean, over the first two games, Stephen Clay are sort of sitting, you know, where where you'd expect them to be. I mean, sure they can have big nights and explode and, and, and destroy you, but you know they're they're sitting in their averages as as is uh, Kawhi. The difference I think between game one and game two has just been the supporting cast. And Mike, you mentioned what Siakam and Lowry and Green and Gasol, the remainder of the starting five, did in game one, but didn't do in game two. And I think that's the difference between winning 118-109 and losing 109-104. And then Golden State guys are making shots. So the biggest shot of the game arguably, is the, the shot made by uh, Andre Gudala, that three-pointer right there. Jalen Rose, I believe uh, post-match, uh, started calling Igudala the Robert Ori of this generation. And then all day, all day today, I mean, no, that's been a, like, a big narrative right now on like uh, American radio today. Uh, the idea that, uh, that Iggy is the, uh, this generation's uh, Robert Ori. So, a couple of questions. One, one shot against how many does Ori have? 
Well, that's yeah, like Ori won, won all these championships. One shot in game oh. two, and Ori has how many series winning shots? Uh, so let's talk uh, about this though. It, but is is this a series changing shot? The the Igudala three. I mean, is it is it a series changing shot? Greg, we'll go to you first. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I think the toughest thing about that shot was how wide open he is. I mean, anyone who's played, I think it's it's harder when you find yourself that wide open than when you're slightly challenged. So I do give him credit for knocking it down, but I don't know. I don't think it's it's going to, you know, create some huge wave of momentum for, for Golden State or some, you know, terrible – this terrible feeling for Toronto. Like, oh, my gosh, how, how are we ever going to overcome that type of momentum swing or whatever? Yeah, it was – it was an unlikely person and a person who, like we've talked about a little bit, I can't remember if it was before the podcast or, or on the podcast, certainly not known for their three-point shooting. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think people will be thinking too much about the shot other than, like, the media and the narrative. But I don't think the players are going to be thinking much about that shot at the start of next game, even let alone two games from now. Let's go to you, Blair. I mean, uh, post game nurse said that's sort of, you know, we're okay with him taking that shot. And then Steph Curry said that he thought it was disrespectful of the Raptors to leave Iguodala that wide open to take that shot. Um, there's a little bit of narrative street there, but also, uh, what do you think of the shot itself going down? Do you, does it change the series? Um, I think the game changes might change the series in retrospect, but I don't think that shot necessarily changes the series. I mean, there was still a lot that played out post that shot. Um, and, and a lot that went into making the situation that had that shot possible. And I would put it this way, not just for the Ori comparison, but the significance in terms of the context of game two's win is unless Igadala goes out and has the next, you know, three, four, five, six, whatever, three, four games of his life. We're not seeing that highlight in any NBA Finals montage, whereas Robert Ory has, like, a plethora, a plethora of, <laughs> you know, big shot montages. Mike, I, I mean, the most people who listen to this podcast will have watched the game in Canada or from Toronto, which means they would have got the uh, the Toronto commentators. And, uh, not me. Not me. You can watch it on ABC, people in Canada, if you know that. You can okay. watch it on ABC here and listen to not Jack Armstrong. So did you did you get Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy then, Greg? Or yes. did you get a different Okay. Yes. So you so you heard Van Gundy Van Gundy after that shot where he was complaining that Igadala took the shot itself. And that as a coach, it's great that he made that, but there was still enough time yeah. for Toronto yeah, to have like, the ball. That's what I mean. This is not some buzzer beater or whatever. The whole in the context of the whole thing, the shot doesn't really I don't think it even decides the game per se necessarily the series. And Van Gundy was actually upset because he, uh, if you miss that shot, Toronto has like six seconds. They're only stuck yeah. in you and, they, and they have their yeah. timeout. Whereas if you just yeah, take I that ball them. And, and advance it towards the basket, create some type of contact exactly. or, or even just yep. eat the clock at that point in time, uh, you know, you, 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 you win the game. When he caught it and I thought, I thought he had an awkward moment there, which again, to, to add to what Greg says about hitting an open shot is tough. I thought he had a moment there. Of, I don't know if hesitation is the right word, but, you know, when you're like, if I'm near a guy there, I usually, I'll thought too long if he's about to shoot, right? Because I thought he was, and I thought maybe he thought he was going to just start dribbling it down towards the elbow and letting whatever, but he didn't. But, I mean, yeah. you know, like you said, make or miss. 
Okay, let's talk about, I think, what the, the, the two, uh, at least in my opinion, the two biggest stories after the first two games and the ones that I think will have the biggest impact on the actual outcome of the series are Kyle Lowry and injuries. So let's start with Kyle Lowry first. A really disappointing uh, game two for Kyle Lowry. Again, we're talking about uh, narratives, right? There's been a narrative up until, uh, you know, the Milwaukee series of Kyle Lowry in the playoffs. And it hasn't been a positive one for most of his career. And then we saw the Milwaukee series, Lowry really step up and emerge. And I thought in game one and in game two of this series, he hasn't looked great. In game one, I thought he was able to overcome some of that by still managing to get, you know, uh, half a dozen re- more than half a dozen rebounds and more than half a dozen uh, assists. But in game two, uh, to me, the difference between winning and losing the game is is Kyle Lowry. And yes, he gets you 13 points. And yes, you can't really complain because Van Vliet gives you 17, so you're still getting incredible production from your point guard. But I mean, two assists, one rebound. Uh, having to sit on the bench for large stretches because of fouls. Now, some of them were ticky-tacky fouls or whatever. You can say that, that at least three of them were off-ball or whatever and shouldn't have been. You, you can do whatever you want to do. The last, uh, the last one the last one was unconscionable. Was like 90 feet away from the, the basket. He was, but, but at the, the yeah. sixth foul is unconscionable. It was ridiculous, Even but, but, no matter what time in the game. You need, you need, you need him to be dialed in. And when it, if he's not going to give you, uh, you know, that second best player on the team, or at worst, third best player on the team, I don't know how this how this team can uh, consider itself uh, NBA champs. Mike, we'll go to you. What are your thoughts on Kyle Lowry's first two games, and what are we what what are we looking for from Kyle Lowry for the remainder of the series? Well, if you remember from the last podcast. I had talked about when, you know, the trades that, you know, Masai had made and they picked up Gasol and I said, man, you know, if they had only upped the ante, traded something more and got, you know, Mike Conley, like, wow, what a difference having that type of a point guard who's also dialed in and a good, you know, defender, but longer and, and bigger. Um, and I'd said like, look, Lowry so far in that Milwaukee series had done enough maybe to shake that. And I was really happy um, with what he had done. But these last two games have been, you know, it feels like he's he's regressed, um, and it, it's making me a little bit worried. And you know, you need Lowry to be dialed in. You can't have him only getting two assists. You can't have him being a minus seventeen uh, on the floor. You can't have him getting fouled. You know, and being on the bench. You know, he only paid twenty seven minutes. You know, you you can't have that sort of thing going on. So this this is a concern for the Raptors because. You know, Van Vliet is playing at an elite level right now, and you got to hope that he continues to do that, especially if Lowry uh, is going to play this way, right? Like Van Vliet played like almost forty minutes in the in the last game. Um, you you need something more from Kyle Lowry. You need him to you know to take the charges uh, and to continue to to grab rebounds because he should be grabbing more rebounds, but he also should be assisting more. So maybe maybe it's a combined effort that the Raptors just, you know, when you don't make shots, you don't get assists. So maybe that's another problem, you know, when you don't make enough shots in a game. But, you know, I'm starting to worry about Lowry. He was moved off of his spot early in the game, though. You could see that the couple early fouls he picked up, and I think that changes the type of mm-hmm. game that he plays. Cop forces him to be a little less, uh, a little less aggressive. But you also mentioned, right? The, the it would be nice to have a little bit more length and defensive ability there, and uh, sort of the the lack of depth at at the guard position right now is something that. We haven't talked about all season, or we haven't because we haven't been on all season. But I haven't heard a lot about. But certainly, you know, without Danny Green playing like the Danny Green they were hoping to get, uh, and Lowry sort of in this little bit of a funk that that, that he's in, 
it might be nice to have DeLon Wright right now on, on, on this squad. Um, it's Greg, still nice to have Gasol, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Greg, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on uh, Kyle Lowry through uh, the first two games? Yeah, it's, it is tough with, with Lowry a little bit. I mean, I totally love him as kind of a person and a, a leader on the team and a face of the franchise and everything. It, 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 it's tough seeing him struggle to, you know, penetrate, finish at the rim, be that third scorer that you really need because Siakam, while very good, uh, I don't know. He, he struck as a, as a playoff number two scorer at this level. I, don't, I just don't know that he's there enough where mm-hmm. you can't have a really strong number three. So uh, it's hurting him a little bit. And I do think he got really pissed off when he kind of had, he was vertical on that drive that uh, Clay Thompson, I think in the first quarter and he got called for a pretty bad foul. And he, it kind of got in his head and he, he wouldn't get over it. And uh, I don't know, it kind of shook him up. And so he was a little, he was a little off last night. He wasn't, as tough mentally as maybe I expect from him. So something for him to work on, but uh, there's definitely certain things about his game that aren't going to be fixed anytime soon. You just got to hope that, you know, he's going to, you know, he is going to take the charges like Mike said and, and do everything he can to be a leader and, and step up and hit those, those open three sometimes. But, he he's a little bit of a liability in the sense that he's not that third option that you would ideally want. And I would kind of, I think Marcus soul, maybe this is a different conversation altogether, but I think Marcus soul needs to kind of recognize that he needs to be a little more assertive in, in spearheading that offense since Kyle Lowry has such, has pretty obvious limitations there. Absolutely. I agree with that point 100%. I thought Marcus Gasol yesterday looked, uh, or in game two, looked extremely tentative, uh, much like the Marcus Gasol that we saw uh, in the early parts like uh, of the Milwaukee series, right? For example, game one and game two, where just open shots he's giving up to, tr- to, to, to feed the ball to get other people going at times, where when that ball comes to you and you're at the, the, you know, the top of the three-point line and, and, there's, and your man is a step away from you, that's your shot. you got to take that. And, and, uh, and, they, and they need that from him. I also think that Marcus Gasol, uh, although he doesn't bang the same way he used to when he was, uh, you know, a younger uh, center. If you're, if they're going to put Bookie Cousins out there and they're going to they're going to try and occupy a little bit of space with that big body starting off, especially knowing where he is physically, having come back from that injury. I mean, you got to you got to get in there and and, uh, and and smash it around a little bit. Uh, to your point of Siakam, I'm not going to come to you, Blair. To your point on Siakam. I do think that Siakam could be that second player. I thought in game one, what you saw was a Golden State Warriors team who were not prepared for his speed in real life. I think that they had seen him a little mm-hmm. bit, had only played him like a, you know, a little bit, but didn't, weren't actually uh, attuned to how fast he was. And so, he, yes, he made whatever, 18 shots or something like that. People go on about the percentage that he hit wasn't sustainable. It's not that. It's that he had that first step on the defender all game long. And I think you saw in game two a little bit of schematic work to sort of to, to make it just a little bit 
bit more difficult for him, push him off of that the spot where he wanted to shoot from, and just make things a little bit more contested. And I, uh, so they were able to scheme a little bit more for him in a way they hadn't before. And I, I suspect that there will be adjustments coming the other direction for Game Three because if you're Nick Nurse, you got to get him going and you got to get him easy, easy looks. Particularly in transition, but uh, but but otherwise, you got to get him some e- some easy looks to the to to the basket to get him going. Blair, we'll go to you to to Lowry, and then we'll we'll move off of the Raptors for a little bit. Your thoughts on yeah. on Kyle Lowry? Just three quick three quick thoughts, kind of building on what each of you has said, um, and, and maybe not at some points, but I I think for one thing, yes, the fouls were a big issue for Lowry and kept him off the floor a lot, and also affected his game because he is a very risk taking player. Uh, I also think his hand is starting to bother him more and more, his left thumb. Uh, Even just body language and tiny little things in the game two, it it did seem to bother him a little bit more. He was looking at it more, shaking it more, holding it up to his face. Um, But also, this was, and I didn't mention it in our previous podcast to preview the, the finals, it just didn't come up, but this was one of the, maybe the matchup that I thought favored Toronto the least was Lowry against Golden State because it's not just the length and I guess it's I guess in a way it's in virtue of the length but Lowry's a physical guy like he's much happier having to get Ben Simmons down and ass him off the block than he is running over top of screens all night for 25 30 minutes like he's having to do against Golden State and I think that really frustrates him it takes him out of his comfort zone, and it affects him on both ends of the floor. If, if, and if nothing else, it tires him out. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, and, that's, that's he, a good like, point. Like he's a very bad matchup to play the Splash Brothers. He, like that, that game is antithetical to the way he wants to play. He wants to bang you. He doesn't want to run around. And and yet, still traditionally, those we've um, our guard play has been good against Golden State. Uh, over oh, the, yeah. the last couple of seasons, you know, uh, both in uh, how guys like Lowry played against them, but also in how they have c- contained uh, Steph and play uh, consistently. And yeah, uh, but these are but these are the finals, baby. I, I, just, I just I just think I just think he part of the frustration Greg noted last night. I think part of the frustration was also because you see it sometimes with other players that aren't nearly as good as Lowry. But it's just because his game's not terribly well suited for it. You give him, you give him enough time, and he's running on top of screens all night, and he starts to get, he starts to get annoyed. I don't know who wouldn't. Okay, uh, let's let's. And, and, and he plays on a line. He's an emotional player. He plays on a line, right? And then you talk about you know look, looking at his thumb, twisting it, turning at his head, huffing and puffing, getting up, yeah. getting down. But that same emotion is what makes him Kyle Lowry, right? So when you 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 have to with players like that they, where they walk that fine line. And Draymond Green is another one on the other side. I thought he was going to get teed up a couple times during the game, uh, yeah. uh, during during game two. They walk that line, and you and as a coach, you want them to be more uh reserved just a little bit because you don't want to give away you don't want them getting out of their game in their comfort zone at the same time as a coach you don't want to rein that in because that's who makes them what who they are and what they are let's talk about golden state they have a lot of players right now nursing injuries uh no pun intended and uh we don't know what they all look like. We don't know if Kevin Durant is coming back at all in game four, in game five, if it goes seven. I mean, we, we don't know. We have no idea what the nature of that injury is, but I think we can all agree that that injury and what happens with it has the potential to, uh, to alter significantly the outcome of this series. Let's talk, though, about the injuries that we do know. 
we know that uh, Looney got got hurt in, in in the game itself, and uh, you know uh, I I had heard that it wasn't that serious. But Greg, as we started recording this, you had mentioned that Woj had tweeted uh, that that this, the injury is serious. What, what what exactly did did you did you get there, Greg? Uh, broken collarbone and out indefinitely. And he tweeted a follow-up tweet um, recently that basically said it's pretty hard to imagine that he would be back this season. So, yeah, looks like he's out. And um, Golden State also just announced that um, Clay Thompson has a mild hamstring strain and he's questionable for Game 3. Okay. So, Clay's questionable for Game 3. Looney's gone for the se- for for the remainder of the season. Durant won't play Game Three. Is still possible hypothetically for Game Four at, at the at the earliest from what we've heard. And I also want to throw into this uh, category: uh, Andre Iguodala is nursing an, a, an injury that um, made him at, at some point questionable for Game Two. Although we saw him he play got, the whole game, he got beat around last night a lot too. And Boogie Cousins, although he played. Fantastic minutes. We heard a lot about uh, all, uh, all that he did in Game Two for Golden State. Uh, he that's sort of his first real service back uh, from from a very significant injury, and he's he was back early because when that when that when he went out in the with that uh, with that muscle tear against the Clippers, the thought was he was probably gone for the season. And now four weeks later, he's out there giving. I think you said Blair he played twenty eight minutes uh, in Game yeah. Two, and so now he's supposed to come back and give them even more than that because Looney is now gone. Uh, so we're going to see extended Bogut minutes as well. So injuries are piling up. Let's let's start with you, Mike. What are your what are your thoughts on what this means uh, for, for for Golden State and for Toronto? Uh, you know, Game Three, Game Four, and as this, the series progresses, I think this is a big deal for both teams. I think it's it's a big deal for Golden State uh, because again, they they live by that that mantra, right? Like uh, strength in numbers, and now you're being tested. <laughs> you're going to have to use all of your numbers, right? You're going to have to bring out uh, Bogut and, and see how much he can actually uh, do, you know? And I think it's going to be difficult for them. And if, you know, if Clay is, is not going to play and Steph Curry is the main sort of threat, you're going to see a lot more, um, you know, this is the, the strength that Golden State has had is like, well, you can't double anybody because if you double somebody, you know, one of our great shooters is going to be open. But now there's only one of the really great shooters left, right? And if, if Steph Curry is the only guy out there, you can double him and force the rest of the team like the Raptors did in that fourth quarter when they came mm-hmm. out with that box one defense where they said anybody else can try to beat us. And, and they couldn't. They couldn't score. Um, and so, you know, I think that really should be worrying to Golden State. This is a big deal, especially if none of these guys can go game three or game four. Um, and if you're banged up and hurting, you know, this, this is the Raptors chance. <laughs> you know, you, if you can't be, you got to come into this ready to just strike. You should be able to beat this team when they're this hobbled. They are a wounded animal. Okay, Blair, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, it's, it's. It's, it might turn into a war of attrition, which would be unfortunate because you always want to see, you know, fair, healthy contests. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Clay I think Clay will play, um, not just because of the Kerr joke when he said he'll be fine, even though he'd say that if he was half dead. But I don't know how serious a hamstring injury can really be when you're allowed to walk out 
scrap with ice on halfway down the hallway to start greeting the players and congratulating them when they come off the floor. It couldn't have been that bad. Mind you, he's also got to guard Kawhi Leonard, and that can be really hard on your hamstrings, and it can be really hard on your collarbone if you ask Kevin Looney. I mean, I, I still can't believe it. We were saying this before the recording. Like, Leonard just goes in, and it's just like one of those casual, oh, you strip me fouls, and Looney goes flying, almost hits the stanchion, and now he's done for the year? Wow. Um, don't, like, that's, that's like some Ron Artest type of strength, you know? That's crazy. But uh, the boogie thing, it's interesting you bring that up, Steve. I hadn't considered the boogies, uh, you know, like fatigue setting in and everything like that. It might. But I also think he's going to get even more minutes now if he's healthy enough. Soreness, there's a, there's a big difference, right? And, and a very big, important, and sometimes hard to tell difference, even for the medical staff, between soreness and some sort of realm of risk. And I think he's going to be more in the soreness realm. And and you mentioned Gasol earlier and Gasol being tentative. And I think a lot of Gasol's play was thrown off because we talked about last episode how fungible the rounds have been and how the schemes have been. When was the last time Gasol got banged in the chest repeatedly on and off the ball like Boogie was doing by a guy that size, right? Like, let's not forget. Yes, he's hobbled. Yes, he's whatever. Don't forget who Boogie is, right? For all his baggage and the Achilles injury, I mean, this is a bigger built unicorn. Yeah, he beat and, up his bus driver in high school. He's not. He's not. He's not. He's not afraid to take <laughs> on bigger people. And well, let's say he, he treated he treated Gasol like a bus driver, and you could see Gasol. Oh, they kept the bell. Quote of the podcast. You can see Gasol. You can see Gasol huffing and puffing because, like, a guy that big slamming into you, like Boogie knows he can with his leverage. And Gasol really got tired out by that a lot. I think, like, that was you know the term body blows. Like, Boogie was feeding him body blows all night, and uh, Gasol's been inconsistent to begin with. So I think he's going to get used more. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I talked about how good Kerr's been with the adjustments, but they are getting stretched in. Thin, like, what's the term from Lord of the Wings? Like, butter on toast. Like, they are, they are you know, if if Clay can't play, it's going to be tough. But I'll tell you, the I don't, I'm not worried about the boxing one. I think it took Kerr off guard, and they did a little bit one of their Warriors two complacent things and almost lost the game. But one thing Kerr did that was really smart is he's finally started using Curry as a screener to free him up. And Toronto wasn't ready for that. I might say more about that later. But he finally started using Curry as a screener. And that's the easiest thing. If they come out with the box and one, I almost think Nurse would be, would be, should be very careful to come out and not be take fool's gold for how well the box and one worked for the last five minutes of that game. Because if they come out in the box and one and Kerr sticks with that plan that they got away from near the end of the game and uses Curry as a screener, that box and one is going to get blown apart. Okay. And, and this is what we know about Kerr for, even from so far this series is once he gets something on film, he's he's not afraid to to, to, to adjust to it. And, I, and the box and one is now the big term. Everyone's liking to throw it all around. But I don't think anybody would have even known what that was if Van Gundy hadn't first started talking about it. As he was talking about it, I'm pretty sure Mark Jackson was Googling box and one to try and figure out what he was what he, what he, what he, what he, what he even saying. <laughs> and upset I, that he never I, used it as a coach himself. 
he's like boxing. And then the best line was when Van Gundy said, I, I don't think I've ever seen that before in the professional level. It's like, okay, well, there, well, well, there you go. Uh, Blair, um, I'm sorry. Like, Greg, I want because you work for Pat Riley. <laughs> Greg, I want to come to you and I want to give you a chance to, to speak on Thompson. Uh, but, but I think maybe we'll, you can add that to your answer as we talk about adjustments because this is where we're at now. There needs to be adjustments and both teams are going to look to make them. Uh, Blair had mentioned the idea of, of using Curry to set screens. And I, actually, I want to add to that that the injury situation means that the ability to set screens is, is, is going to be difficult for Golden State across their team, which is a very big part of their game. Using Boogie to set screens is going to be difficult. Using Clay to set screens is going to be difficult. Uh, uh, Iggy is hurt. Using him to set screens is difficult. And so if the Raptors start running hard through screens, uh, it's going to be challenging for Golden State to run the offense that they want to run. And with that, I would say, given what you're, we're, we know about Boogie Cousins and his, and his uh, return from injury, if I'm Nick Nurse, the big adjustment that I'm making is I'm going with a starting lineup that includes Ibaka and Siakam. And I'm forcing Boogie Cousins to play with speed, which we know he's not going to be able to do consistently. And I start to push the pace on this Golden State team and force them to really try and, and adapt and adjust to us. I turn it into a bit, maybe a little bit of a track meet. Greg, what do you think uh, needs to happen now and uh, take into consideration the injuries, but also uh, adjustments for, for, for both teams? I think, well... One quick point about the injuries. I think from a fan perspective and a basketball, you know, perspective, it will be interesting to see what the actual threshold is for Golden State in terms of yeah. how whittled down can they get where they just are no longer that dominant force. So I think that's going to be interesting from a fan perspective. Like, you know, okay, they don't have KD. They they barely bat, bat an eye. Um but if at some point they're going to hit that threshold where it's like, okay, this is really significant that they're so injured. So that'll be interesting to see. In terms of adjustments, I think playing off of the fact that Golden State is hobbled and they're injured, the, the big thing that Toronto needs to figure out how to avoid is, is not bailing them out so much, not allowing them to stay in the game when they're, you know, stepping on their throat in every other sense of the of the game by, by letting them get to the foul line 20 times, you know? So I think that will be a huge thing for, for Toronto over the next couple is, is not letting them hang around by, by sending them to the free throw line when they're, when they're um, crushing them in every other sense. So I think that will be a huge thing for them. You know, as a sort of a follow-up to that, I hope the league addresses some of the some of the tricks that um, Draymond Green and Seth Curry particularly have perfected in terms of you know jumping into the defender and you know all of that kind of stuff. And and they they really start to think about this stuff that Golden State has sort of perfected in terms of of drawing fouls in ways that aren't necessarily fair to the defender or anything along those lines. So that's just kind of, <laughs> that's just kind of a side note, but I think that James will be it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. That'll be a huge thing for them. And then um, the other adjustment is again, I think finding, figuring out that third piece offensively is, is really, I think going to be important and, and, and getting Gasol to step up and be more assertive, 
and more of an alpha rather than, you know, doing a little spin pass wide open layup and passing it up. I mean, there's a certain point of being too selfless. And um, you see that a little bit with the Raptors right now, as I love how much they're passing and they're being praised for the passing. But um, at some point, you just got to kind of put your head down and, and go go to the rim and, and attack, attack, attack. So. It's an interesting Gasol point because there was a moment in the last uh, round of uh, Lakers t- title winning where uh, Pau Gasol actually had to change his game in the playoffs from being facilitator to Kobe and to others to being dominant post player. Uh, that really uh, was a big reason why the Lakers were able to win back-to-back titles in that um, uh, Kobe-Gasol combination. So I don't know, maybe it's a, yeah. a family thing there too. I think it's interesting, too, in the sense of, like, they're already down Looney. I mean, he's definitely not playing next game. If you can use Gasol to get Cousins in foul trouble, that's going to be huge. So that's another thing I think they really need to figure out how to how to Cousins attack Cousins as much as – Yeah, exactly, and it, it happened pretty quickly. So I think continue to sort of – yeah. encourage Gasol to be assertive and, and draw him into fouls. But getting Cousins in foul trouble, I think, has more to do with the point guards than it does to do with, with, uh, with your center. You need Lowry and you need uh, Van Vliet uh, to, to really be uh, aggressive at, at attacking the rim, so that way they have to sort of collapse and try and to, you know, block some shots and you know, start putting your body in, in, into him underneath the basket as well. Cousins got in foul trouble in game two last night, except they had the luxury of James Looney or Kevin Looney that they now don't have. So again, back, I like the word Greggy is threshold. Like we're going to, it's going to be interesting to see like where, where Golden State's threshold lies and if how close they get or pass to it. Well, you know, Greg, you had said, you know, when for the rappers, the adjustments they need to make is they need to put their, when they have their foot on the Golden State's throat, they need to really make sure they close it out. I just want to point out that uh, you know, in the last 23 playoff series Golden State have played in, only one team has successfully done that, winning four games against them, right? So uh, there's a lot easier said than done, right? In the last 23 series they played in, only one team has won four games against them. And that team... And that, and that like, took a big punch. That well, and that took a couple things, right? It took yeah, it took Draymond getting uh, tossed and suspended, and it also took again uh, a, a series saving play from LeBron James, which if he doesn't make that block, I mean, okay, well, we, history retrospect. Okay, Mike, on to you. Adjustments that need to be made by uh, by Toronto, by Golden State to, to play out the rest of the series. Golden State is going to have to find a way to stop uh, the run and gun because I think the Raptors are going to come out of this game running and gunning, um, and they're going to try again. When you, when you have a hobbled team beside you, you you have to you know grab the rebound. You got to headband that ball as fast as you can and and try to score quick and easy baskets. And the, you know the Raptors were able to do that in Game One with Siakam uh, especially, uh, and they didn't do it very well uh, in Game Two. And that's something that they're going to have to to be better. Uh, at doing. Um, I think the Raptors adjustments defensively um, I think is going to depend on who's playing in the game and at what point but I think you know, the Raptors have been playing good defense and in that last game they took 12 more shots than Golden State and, and still lost the game, right? They had 12 more possessions because of you know uh, of defense, rebound, steals uh, so it's, uh, again I think if, if they continue to play this type of defense and they make a little bit more in the way of shooting, I think that they can 
they can definitely win uh, the next game. They have to to not allow Golden State um, a chance to go off. You know, the, the, they they got to come out and punch them in the face in the third quarter and have a big run uh, and and put the game away uh, in in the same sort of uh, fashion. They can't come out flat footed, um, and I, I don't think that they will. I think they're actually going to do a much better job in Game Three of 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 doing all of those, those things, um, against golden state. Um, and if you're golden state, I guess is the other side of that question. Um, you're going to have to try to find a way to get Steph Curry open because you need him to score a lot of points this next coming game, because the more points he scores, the more open everybody else on that team is going to be, you know, regardless if he's the only shooter that's there, he's going to have to find a way to shoot better than, you know, the, the, the 35% that he scored in the last game, you know, he's got to be better than three of 10 from three point land uh, than he was in, in game two. He's going to have to find a way to be much, much better um, or else it's, it's not going to matter. He's going to have to, you know, that was a very quiet 23 points that he scored. So, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go around the table then and get our sort of closing thoughts. How do you see this series uh, playing itself by time? We, get, we know there's going to be a game five. So how do you see the series playing itself out? Um, you know, what, 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 where are we going to be at by the time we get to game five or just your, your, your thoughts, what, you know, cl- closing thoughts here for each person will go around. Blair to you first closing thoughts. Um, I think if I had to predict the series is going to be split coming back for game five. Um, just my intuition, I guess. Two, two last thoughts. One, the veterans got to step up for Toronto. Danny Green still obviously. Ibaka was mostly a non-flactor. He played brainlessly in game two. Took him out of the, himself out of the game with foul trouble. Kyle Lowry did some of the same thing. Van Vliet, as we said, filled in admirably. Um, but I thought a lot of Van Vliet's shots came up short near the end of the game, and part of that might have been in virtue of the fact that he had played a lot more minutes. Gasol, minutes. Yeah. yeah, Gasol, we've talked about him being inconsistent and what I said about him guarding Cousins and getting the wind knocked out of him repeatedly. Um, and one thing Toronto needs to do, because I didn't mention this before, but it's a closing thought, because I thought it was a serious problem at numerous intervals during the game last night, especially when they were using Curry as a screener. But even at other times... Toronto got caught on a lot of bad switches underneath or the free throw line a lot. And there were a lot of times when Golden State had their four or five man matched up right underneath the rim in the restricted area with one of the guards on them. And I don't know what they need to do, but the Toronto needs to adjust that because if like Bogut capitalized for a bunch of them, if you remember near the end of the game, the two alley-oops and a lot of those if you look they had gotten caught in bad rotations under the free throw line and it was van vliet or lowry or somebody else on them and if if they don't fix that the injuries aren't going to be as big of a problem for golden state but i do still think they'll split the games in uh in oakland but don't underestimate the oracle factor either we haven't brought that up these are the last games in oracle and there's no way the fans are going to come out as intense as the toronto fans have been But the players and the fans included, there will be times in these games and the ones if coming back to Oakland when that will be a big factor that the Raptors have to face up against as well. Well, that is true because apparently there's been a new record set for ticket prices in the NBA playoffs at the the Oracle. Uh, Yahoo reporting that even the ridiculous prices Raptors fans were playing have now been uh, outpaced by by Golden State fans. Uh, I, I, Um, I, I, I won't clap. (laughs) <laughs> Mike, what about you? How do you, how do you see it, uh, final thoughts? How do you see it playing out? 
Uh, I think that the Raptors should actually win game three and game four. They should actually be coming home uh, up three to one. Um, but kind of just like, you know, Golden State's happy going home, limping home with a 1-1, I think the Raptors would be happy with that too. Because, you know, as we've mentioned in this podcast of how, you know, uh, how the, the the idea, the psyche of home court advantage matters. And if the Raptors win one of two, then, you know, they protect home court and they're, they're champions. So I think that something to be said about coming back 1-1, I think the Raptors have the ability and they have the situation of a hobbled opponent who... You know, as as we've said, you know, coming out of that Portland series, it wasn't as dominant as it looked, as we had mentioned before, right? That was a series where they were down multiple games uh, to an opponent that wasn't at its full strength, uh, and they found, you know, they found a way to win, but it didn't look very convincing, and they haven't looked very convincing in this series either. Um, the Raptors should come home three to one, um, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was a two two uh, sort of thing. Wow. Uh, $50,000 a ticket. That's that's the new record. Uh, someone bought a pair of tickets for game three. $50,000 US dollars per, uh, per, per ticket. Uh, Greg, uh, f- final thoughts from what? you on the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true story. True story. Uh, <laughs> uh, final thoughts from you, Greg. <sighs> I will be interested to see if... Uh if Nick nurse makes any adjustments to the starting lineup, I think you make an, you raise an interesting point and to see how long they stick with Danny green. Um, but yeah, you know, let's not forget the fact that they're up against a dynasty and, and a great team in a, in a tough arena. So I really think my gut again does tell me one, one, but obviously it's going to be easier said than done. Uh, to do that, but I, I think the Raptors have proven that they're a tough team and resilient and that they're not just tough in terms of motor, but in terms of mentally. So 1-1, one, one, and I, I will be interested to see how those, adjust, you know, what sort of adjustments they do make in terms of rotations and things like that over the next couple of games, and it'll be exciting to see. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to all of you for your, for your points and for jumping in uh, the worldwide round table. It's my brother, Mike and Greg Mason and Blair Miller, and you can find them all on Twitter at TF quarter at Votaria hoops and at Michael Gennaro and um, all good points, all good points and all probably true. But here's what I want to close with eight quarters of basketball. We've seen between the Toronto Raptors and the golden state warriors. Golden State's only won two quarters. They won the third quarter in, the, in game one, and they won the third quarter in game two. In game one, they came out punching in the third quarter like they have all playoffs long, and Toronto responded and punched back. In game two, Toronto looked a little bit lackadaisical in those moments. Now, you can point to the early referee uh, calls and the fouls that maybe moved them one direction. You can point to fatigue. You can point to naivety. Uh, you can point to missed shots. But whatever it may be, when the game ended at the end of game two, there was no doubt that although the score was 1-1, Toronto was the better team across the first two games. And it wasn't even close. And if we look at the last round against a better team, Milwaukee, the best team in the NBA all season long, the team that had home court were the number one seed with the MVP and the best player and their entire lineup. Toronto, at the end of two games, trailed 0-2, having lost the game they should have won and having got blown out across four quarters. 
And then something turned in the series. Yes, there were individual moments where Milwaukee was punching and looked like the, you know it could have gone back their way. But there was a resilience within this team to fight defensively and offensively in a way that they would not be denied. And not only did they win three straight against Milwaukee, a feat that no other team had done the entire season, they won four straight against Milwaukee, winning games both at home and on the road. And as we look back on that series, it is clear that Toronto was the better team in that series across the entire series, regardless of the fact that Milwaukee took two games. And I feel like we're at that exact same moment right now in the Golden State series. Yes, Kevin Durant could come back and that changes everything. I, I will not dispute that point whatsoever. Clay could be healthy. Clay could not be healthy. Uh, other guys will, may return or may not return. But one thing is obvious is that two games into this series, the Toronto Raptors right now are the best team in the NBA right now at this moment. Now, in order to turn that into the trophy, they have to do the business. And the question is, will they be able to do the business? But if you told me they go to Oakland and they lose both games in Oakland, I will be very surprised by that because I don't think that's this team. And you say, well, Golden State has experience, but this Toronto team has experience as well. And the experiences of the fans are not the same as the experiences of the players. We are a shattered fan base of losers. We are a fan base who has lost in all of our sports for, no, for many of years. But the players on this team are not the same makeup. This team is led by Kawhi Leonard, who has not only won a ring, he has won the finals MVP. Right? This, is, this is a different team with a different leadership. And there are a lot of winners on this team. And yes, you may say, well, they won, at nine, they won the, uh, the D League as the 905. Yes, they did. But Siakam and Van Vliet, like these guys, they, they, they have been in spots where they have won before. Marcus Gasol has won an Olympic gold medal. Like these are players who have been in moments where they have come to the, to the forefront and they have won games. I do not see this team losing both games in Oakland. I will be very surprised, and I've been wrong many times before, if they do. And, and I would not be surprised to see Toronto win both games in Oakland. I would not be surprised if the game that they lost in Toronto is the only game they lose for the rest of the season. A little bit wishful, a little bit strong of a push, absolutely. But certainly, there's been enough evidence up until this point to, to show you that this Toronto Raptors team can do it. The question is, will, be the, will they be the Raptors who beat Milwaukee, or will they be the Raptors who barely beat Philly? And we'll find out based on who else steps up and makes shots. Okay, until next time, thanks for listening. This has been the Worldwide Roundtable. I'm PhD Steve, your host. Hey, and hey, listen to me. This is very important. No matter what you do, no matter what anybody says, be nice to each other. Be nice to your bus driver. Peace. I don't know. Either I'm off my nut or he is. Or you are. Is that your final answer? Damn, I'm good! Can you feel that? Huh? Can you feel it, Captain Compost? I can hardly contain myself. You know, before this is over, I'm going to need a whole lot of serious therapy. Man, I'm tired of being right. Inconceivable! Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? 
Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.